0: Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection, looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields.
1: Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, which is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, we're going to continue our discussion on retention and motivation with Tori Taylor, Market Operations Manager for Builder's Warehouse in Aurora, Colorado. Tori, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here again. Excellent. Well, Tori, on our last episode, we talked about how employee retention and motivation are. Really, very closely related. I'm curious, what challenges have you faced in attracting and retaining employees and what have you done to try to overcome that in your market? That's a great question. I, I'm in a metro market
0: and as such, there's a lot of different industries that, that have a lot of attractive offerings. And I think that just getting people in the door to apply has been uh, challenging in, in times past. And so when you do get a, a really good employee or you have a chance to interview, in some cases, you have to kind of sell the organization, sell the industry, sell your company. But as you do so, it, retention is so important. Gone are the days where you can ramp up in the, the beginning of the year and then at the big shed, a bunch of labor at the end of the year. Those days are gone. You, you really need to retain your people. So is there, they're harder and harder to come by.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, what do you do? You talked a little bit about wage compression in the last episode. Like, what sure. are some of your strategies?
0: Oh, for that, well, anytime there's market pressure from other industries or whatever, and the average wage is is going up, if naturally I would have to bump my wage up as well to be competitive to kind of compete for that labor. It's very important to be dialed into what market conditions are, what are entry level positions paying, and 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 things like that. And what you do is if you find that your starting wage is too low, and you raise it by say a dollar fifty, uh, my recommendation would be to raise the wage of all your employees uh, in kind. Hmm. That way, it doesn't you don't find in two or three years the wage between your entry level folks and your seasoned veterans is almost the same. It doesn't take very much research to go online and see what your starting wage is. And as the your employees catch wind of that, it, there's a, a very strong
1: perception of inequity. Right. So, Tori, the wage, starting wage, that gets them in the door, right? It gets them into the interview. I mean, what do you do in the interview and onboarding process to to get them feeling comfortable about belonging there? As we talked about, one of the, the greatest demotivators is confusion, right? You also said, not on the last podcast, but to me in a separate conversation, that a trainer having somebody have the role, fill the role of a trainer should be the top position they aspire to. And I'm sort of curious, I, I believe those two things are related, but can you speak to that?
0: Yeah. One of the most important things to ensure that a new employee has a good experience is they have a phenomenal trainer. And I've been the type of person at at one point in my career where, well, the person who can build the fastest or knows the most about assembling a trust is automatically the trainer. And And we all know that not all excellent employees or excellent trainers. There's more to the, the training piece than just that. So you need your trainers that have a positive outlook. They are an ambassador for your company, right? The, the worst thing you can have is a trainer that's, that's a bad-mouthing your company or they're disgruntled about it. And then the trainer has to be willing to share everything that they know. They can't be threatened by training insubordinates and things like that. There's nothing worse than holding back information. And in some small cases, it is human nature to kind of hold back. So you remain the most knowledgeable person within an organization. So as you're selecting your trainers, it's very important to make sure that they have a heart of a trainer where they love to teach, they have patience, they have the right expectations of the employee and they understand that it just takes time to learn certain things and they have the ability to train in different ways. If someone has a different learning style, those types of things is, is very important. So be very selective on on who trains your new hires would be my recommendation.
1: Okay, so the wage gets them in the door. A really good trainer helps them find clarity, understand their job, feel comfortable, gain the skill set. Another thing that you do that I want you to talk about is you rely heavily on collecting data, as I think a sure. lot of manufacturers in our industry do, but. For you, this is, the data is about understanding the health of the organization. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your mindset about data and also go into some of the metrics that you find are key to understanding where your employees are on the spectrum and how you use that data really to make better management decisions. Sure.
0: Yeah, data definitely shows the health of your organization. But if, if done right, it can also, you need data feedback mechanisms to give you feedback on the health of a process as well. The data that that we choose to collect is, it's actually, it's driven by our customers. And we start with the premise of what do our customers really value? There's only a few things within the industry that we can do to differentiate ourselves from our competitor. A lot of times we're buying product from the same mill. We're doing a lot of the same things, right? And and with that being said, there's only a handful of things that our customers truly value and they're paying us for. And so, with that being said, is it starts with what are our customers value? So obviously, a metric like on time and in full, being able to deliver product when they want it, it's in full, all of the trusses or product goes out to on site the first time. So that's one metric. Of course, we utilize board, board foot per man hour or some type of a metric in terms of efficiency. There's a lot of different metrics out there. I don't necessarily get hung up on the one that we use, but I know that there's some other great metrics out there as well. But the the fact of the matter is one thing that we do not do is we do not weaponize data. It's literally just to determine where we are today, benchmark where we were before and where we're going. It's utilized to, for the purposes of making sure that we're building a quality product, we're getting product to the site on time and for the purposes of capacity planning and making sure that we're hitting our schedule, those types of things. We tend not to use data as, as a weapon. And I can kind of share a story on that. I'll, I'll try to be brief, but I, I do recall a time where we had a, early in my career, we had a metric of on time and in full. And the leadership team at the time came down on mid-level managers pretty heavily. They were pretty heavily handed with the data that they had just rolled out. And it was almost to the point where it was driving fear into the organization. So with that being said, I I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden, all of the, my peer locations were at 100% and I was still struggling down at a lower percentage. And it turns out a lot of my peers in the organization had, they would move all of their orders out to the very end of the month and then bring them in and deliver them when it was, when they could deliver it. So all of a sudden they're. What was a really good metric on time and in full being weaponized motive, created a behavior where people kind of manipulated the data and made, and it went to a hundred percent in a lot of these facilities. And there was like, okay, no more talk of that. But that metric was at that point rendered useless. Right. And I learned very quickly
1: from that experience that data has to be used very carefully. One, well, how management talks about that data to the employees is really important too. As you, you pointed out, that metric became a demotivator to do the right thing. Suddenly they, they adjusted the data collection to fit the, to suit the need. It didn't really change behavior right. or, or create a better organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, a really good metric was used improperly and it didn't drive better customer service and it should have. Yeah, That's the goal is to drive better customer service or improve your value proposition and use incorrectly. It won't do that.
1: So Tori, I I think that's related to this idea of incentives. I know you, you and I, in our discussion, you support the idea of like short-term targeted incentive programs to motivate employees, a very targeted thing, right? Sure. Uh, But certainly you you prefer sort of a different approach to to motivating employees, which we've been talking about. But like, what's your concern with incentive programs?
0: At at its core, incentive programs are trying to motivate a certain behavior. And there's classic examples in our industry and other industries where when you incentivize one behavior, you inherently de-incentivize others. And so you have to be careful with that. You can definitely motivate behaviors that that don't serve the organization well, and they definitely don't serve your customers well. And so that's kind of my incentive with my concern with incentive programs. I guess the other piece is incentives are either, again, back to the stick and the carrot. Either by force you motivate a behavior or the carrot you try to incentivize it. Trying to do it long term, it kind of it goes against what I believe what a organization is actually capable of motivating of motivating people. I I don't think that it doesn't motivate people long-term. A lot of times, if you'd have like a collective incentive program, they may like the pay, but they may not have enough control of the levers that actually influence. Like they may not have enough control over having their own destiny on whether they hit that incentive or not. They might be like collective incentive programs may be dependent on the other people's performance, so that's kind of demotivating things like that. And I think that at the end of the day, I have found that we're probably better off to take the monies that were set aside for incentive programs and apply it for things to get rid of demotivators or do things to make the experience for the average employee better.
1: So, I mean, going back to that theory X, theory Y that was you referred to from Deming in the last episode... You're coming from the assumption that intrinsically, the best outcome is going to be if the employee is motivated themselves internally. That's correct. And, that, and that's really born out of giving them an environment where they can, they know what they're supposed to do. They know what it means to succeed. And they're given sort of environments to grow and reach their potential. Without it being touchy-feely, that's kind of the idea, right?
0: It really is, right? And what it does is it forces you to look inward and go, okay, is it I? Am I... <laughs> If someone is operating or they have a lack of performance, do they have the organizational support that's necessary to, to be successful? And a lot of times, if you do root cause analysis and you actually get down to the why, your system was not even capable of producing a good result. And yet, here's an employee that, that is kind of taking the brunt of the blame for it. And, and that's a huge demotivator. So we choose to here at builders we do our best and we're not perfect at it. We choose to look at systems and the capability of our systems to provide a consistent result that so an average worker on an average day can have excellent results. And if your systems are set up that that requires extraordinary people with extraordinary effort continually on a daily basis, your systems are going to fail long term.
1: Okay, Terry, last question. Uh, This is a practical question, and I think there's a lot of component manufacturers facing this issue right now. What advice, given all that you've shared, would you give to your fellow component manufacturers on handling, for example, the challenge of getting your current workforce to all show up for their 40 hours a week? You know, thinking about that, really,
0: in our organization, we did have not only did we have high turnover, but another symptom is of a bad culture. Is high absenteeism. And I think that those go hand in hand. If you have high typically if you have high turnover, you're also going to have high absenteeism. And again, the underlying reasons for both are probably the same. I would, at some point, attendance and things like that is a condition of employment. You need to have a flexible but fair, a flexible and fair system that allows people to live their life and have a balance between work life and, and home life and so forth. But really for us, attendance is a condition of employment. It's a condition uh, like if you want to continue to grow in your career and things like that, if you want to learn the saw and then learn the tables or be an assembler lead or be a supervisor. In in our world, attendance is a precursor. No one, no one gets the opportunity to progress and Frankly, as an organization, we're not going to invest additional time and monies into a person that has terrible absenteeism, right? So that's our, it's kind of a non-starter for someone who struggles with attendance. And so the first thing that I would do is when you have that set up to where you have skill-based pay and the ability for people to grow. I would make sure that for the next 90 days, that employee knows very clearly that For them to be successful in the organization and for them to have opportunities for growth, they need to be consistent in their attendance. I would start there. I I don't see incentive programs for attendance or programs to incentivize a full work week. I don't see those working long term. I really, I think that there's a cultural problem uh, as the underlying issue that's driving people to not show up 40 hours a week. Hmm.
1: So, Tori, really what you're saying at the end of the day is that when employee comes in, if you make them feel comfortable and you make it clear that if they show up and do their work, there's career advancement for them. There's a lot of opportunity that is tied to not just an increased rate of pay, but also just more opportunities, more variety and experience and potentially responsibility down the road if they can do that.
0: That's correct. Absolutely. And again, it's just a condition of employment. The vast majority of our retention is very high. It wasn't historically, it is now. And the main reason why we lose people now would be they move out of state because their family circumstances change or they just can't get to work, right? That for us is a condition of employment. And I read recently in the the book Extreme Ownership that, and it's a very powerful statement. It says, it's not what is said that matters, it's what is tolerated. And if you tolerate poor attendance, that will be the norm. And so as painful as it is to let people go for poor attendance, y- you just have to do it. And, and, and o- eventually over time, it's intolerable. Therefore, the change will happen, if that makes sense.
1: It does. Tori, this has been a really great episode. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, thanks for having me again. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by
0: SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.